Hunters, this episode of the Flushman Dustin Podcast is brought to you by our sponsors and patrons. Keeping our dogs safe while hunting, training, or traveling from one location to another is important to us. We keep a first aid kit from Gundog Outdoors in our trucks and carry one on our hunt-ready vests in the event our dogs obtain an injury while hunting. We also carry their water bottle to keep our dogs hydrated while in the field. To check out these products and other safety gear, head over to Gundog Outdoors at gundogoutdoors.com and use code RINGNEXT to save 10%. We transport our dogs to the hunting and training fields in our G3 Dakota 283 kennels. These kennels are one solid piece of military grade material with a conveniently located handle on the top of the kennel to make it easier lifting in and out of our trucks. Dakota 283 also provides other specialized gear to ensure our dogs have enough water and food for a full day's hunt and to safely store and secure our gear in our vehicles. Check out Dakota 283 at dakota283.com and use code RNR10 at checkout to save 10%. To receive a larger discount, become a patron at patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. This will also get you included in our exclusive giveaways. Thank you to everyone for helping us continue to bring you Flushem and Dustum episode. Hi, hunters. Thank you for tuning into the Flushem and Dustum podcast brought to you by Nick and Tyler, the boys from Ringnecks and Retrievers. In this podcast, we will talk about guns, dogs, gear, and our successes and failures in the field through our combined 40 years of experience. We speak with hunters just like you from across the nation about their days in the field and the many memories they built with their friends and family. We are excited to have you listen. Now let's get to Flushing and Dustin. Hey hunters, welcome back to another Flushing and Dustin podcast. Today we have a special guest, Nate Strickler here, which I know many of you have followed and seen on Instagram, Facebook. Um, he is a fellow Iowan. He lives in Des Moines as well. And we're going to get started off. Nate, why don't you introduce yourself and kind of give us a little bit about your background and how you get into hunting. Yeah, happy to do so. Born and raised in Des Moines, in fact. Nice. Didn't go too far away for college. Uh, so been here most of most of my life. Uh, currently live uh, northwest northwest suburb of Des Moines. Uh, nice. Been hunting since 1997, I believe it was. And how I got into it, unlike I think I imagine most people, and maybe you two as well, it wasn't as if I grew up with it with my dad. He didn't take me out hunting. Yeah, that's was not a, that's exactly how I grew up. Right. Right. I think, and, and I think that's pretty pretty common for most that are truly passionate about the sport and those that are committed to the sport. Yep. Something I think, you know, talk about R3 and just diversification and getting people involved. I think we need to embrace those that are more along my path, my personal path that weren't doing it when they were young. How do they become involved, you know, a little bit later on in life. So for me, it was my college roommate. I was down at Simpson college playing a couple sports uh, and my junior year, I got invited to, to go watch a dog go pheasant hunting. I knew very little about it. Uh, we made a trek up from Indianola, Iowa to Prairie City. And at that point in time, very little CRP. It wasn't big block. It was hunting draws. A lot of draws with actually brome grass. So from a habitat perspective, it just wasn't what it is today. We're much better off today. But the bird numbers are just fantastic back then. Just absolutely fantastic. Yeah, we hear that all the time. And man, I wish I, I knew what that was like. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, it's a different day. It's a different day, but, but we're better off in a lot of ways. I think we're, we're better, we're better positioned to sustain numbers, to sustain the sport so long as we look to introduce, and this is something I'm hoping we can talk about. So long yep. as we look to introduce different ways in which to recruit and retain and get more and more people within the sport. Cause you got two little girls, is that right? Yep, yep. So one was oh, just girls. born uh, December 16th, and the other one is two April 24th. Yeah. So I got two okay. under two right now. And despite all the gray, I'm a lot younger than my hair says I am. <laughs> so I'm only, I'm actually only 34 years old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah good. Uh-huh. Well, I, I, I got 13, or I got uh, 12 years on you. I'm 46 now. So, but hunting since uh, 96, I think it was fall of 96, my first time out, yep. hunting behind a farm dog. I mean, it was really that easy back then. She, uh, it was a wire hair, but, and I was amazed. We just walked draws. Yeah. Literally picked corn, picked bean field, walked draws. There were a lot of waterways. There was no tiling, any of that type of stuff. Walk a draw, pretty much there's a bird at the end of that draw, right? They might run. Crazy. By the end, by the time you get to the end of that, 
that dog's on point, you get in there and it's uh, gangbusters. So very unlike uh, things are today and that you really don't see many of those draws, right? No, yeah. you know, we've a lot of terraces anymore. I mean, tiling is out there. We hunted a draw um, last day of season this year. Snow was so crunchy, we couldn't get close to it anything uh where we get one rooster and we actually shot a hungarian partridge too yeah. two birds we got yeah. yeah um so no i agree those waterways um i like them because they're so simple right and it's like a bird can't escape unless it runs directly out the end but if you put a blocker there yeah. it, it, it works yeah and for you know where my current interest lies being 46 years old and hunting a lot of pheasants and shooting a lot of pheasants in my day uh i got a lot of youth and newbies yep. out with me. So draws are perfect, right? Yep. Any edge, easy walking edge, um, anywhere where I can find enough birds in that type of environment, it's perfect. Yeah, I know. We uh, so following you on Instagram, Facebook. Um, we noticed that you basically don't work during the week. Doesn't seem like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, get it. I, I do get a lot of that. No, I, I I put in my time. I got 21 years of my current employer. So it's awesome. Uh, committed to i mean that's typically i'd say that's pretty uh typical of me right very committed yep. and loyal to the things that i care about and, yep. and my employment is, is no difference there commitment to kids commitment to fitness is yep. that i care a lot about and then pheasant hunting so you know tyler and i are kind of the same you know we don't take any vacation although i'm gonna have to take vacation this year my wife's uh begging for a trip because we haven't went in over the last two years so and, i'll take vacation this summer but then everything else comes uh in the fall <laughs> yep, yep and we too have those plans but COVID shut things down so i think oh, we yeah. family trips and i had all this use or lose vacation at the end so but most I mean, typically typically i take i try to take two half days during the week and then one weekend day preferably half yep uh, for the kids nice my kids get off here uh where we're at they get off basically midday on wednesdays so i can get three hours in the field right there easy nice. that's cool so, I try to focus. so let's let's go back to your topic of you know you said you want to keep the younger generation in uh maybe even caption some of those folks that didn't grow up with it like like yourself you know, what are you doing to keep because i'm i'm actually curious because i want my daughters to hunt what are you doing to keep your your daughter and you have a son right as well I have two boys. Two boys. And a girl. So okay. my oldest, 16 year old, is my oldest boy. Okay. My daughter's 13, and my youngest boy's 10. Okay. And, and how did you mold that so that they're interested in that? Um, I guess just kind of give us a play by play breakdown of how you got that, how you introduced them to maybe a gun, even because I know that's a touchy subject nowadays. Um, right. So, yeah. All right. So just involving them, right? Involving them way, way ahead of any semblance of thought of carrying a gun in the field right they're just walking with me i mean half the time shoot early on i was carrying the kids in a lot of instances right so but you put in that time and you certainly sacrifice your efficiency in the moment of that hunt but you're playing the long run right you're investing in the future uh and in this case in the future interest hopefully of, of your kids so my oldest now my 16 year old boy he's he's at a point where sophomore in high school right he's committed he's got a lot of activities actually all, all three of them do Yep. But he's got a lot of activities and believe it or not, I'm sure you two won't ever experience this yourselves, but he's at an age where dad isn't quite as cool as he used to be. Right? <laughs> so, so he, he actually loves shooting. So he loves shooting skeet. We go out and he'll, he'll throw 300 rounds uh, each time we go out. He loves to shoot and he's pretty, pretty good at it. Uh, but when it comes to hunting with me, he just hasn't, uh, that, that interest has waned as he's gotten older and more committed to, high school activities, club ball, things like that. Um, my daughter, I think she participates because she loves it, right? This yep. year, you know, I'd love to really talk about the evolution. Her maturation in the field was fantastic this year. Her first year shooting, and, and it went from, you know, following dad around, looking to dad for guidance, doing only what dad instructed to, I mean, she became a hunter. Yes. Right? No, she knew, she broke off from dad, took a dog, I typically have two dogs in the field. She took one, I took one. She hunted, she shot. I got to see her do that, follow the dog, young dog points. Bird flushes, she shoots it, drops it, dog retrieves. I mean, just perfect. And, you know, I was 50 yards away and just got to take it all in. Right? It <laughs> oh, man. So rewarding. So it's just absolutely fantastic. So these are the things, you know, that's my, 
that's my 28 inch tail feather, right? Or that's yep. my first bird. It's yep. those experiences are predominantly what I took away over the last really five seasons, but this season in particular with my daughter's growth in the field, it's been, it's been awesome. That's, that's awesome. I can remember I took a buddy hunting, uh, it was some years ago as well. And he ended up getting his first bird and I was so excited. I jumped in the air and I was like, yeah, oh, yeah. sprained my ankle in the field, <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> Twist, yeah. twisted it. And I couldn't hardly walk. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I've been there. I don't know if you've seen some of those videos. I've taken kids, you know, nephews of a friend or sons of friends or daughters of friends and they get their first bird. I swear on the video, it, it must seem like I'm more excited half the time than are they uh, yeah. based on their personality, but it's just, uh, I love it. Uh, I, I love so, the enthusiasm. Yeah. And you, you kind of, do you set a goal each year to take a certain number of people to the field? I know introducing people to pheasant hunting is yeah. an important thing. How do you go about getting in contact or how do these people contact you to go to the field with you? Yeah. Having people to, to take is not an issue. Believe me, I get yeah. a lot of phone calls. <laughs> I get a lot of phone calls and, and, uh, my buddy that, uh, that I typically hunt with this year was, a uh, he had more work commitments this year, but usually he's, he's with me two thirds of the time. He's got eight kids, eight kids, oh. four of which are in the field with us can, can walk any type cover with us. And the fifth one isn't too far away. So, and I've got two, two of my three are consistently hunting with us. So right there, we've got good company. And I typically don't want to have more than, no more than three kids in the field for sure. Yeah. Um, no more than, you know, one adult to one kid carrying a gun. So it's usually two kids in the field with two adults is what I typically have. So, but to your question, Tyler, uh, this year I did, uh, my goals have changed, you know, coming up, you know, it used to be, and it's still, it still is how many birds do you shoot, right? How many birds did the dogs get up? How many miles did you walk? I've journaled all my hunts since early 2000. I have a, a binder that I have, and someday I'll turn that into a book. And in, any and all people that I take out, I have them journal the hunt. And especially kids, right? They, they write their story however they want to write their story. And it's not just what they say, but it's the handwriting, right? Uh, that is awesome. Their name. It's the pictures that they draw in the book. Uh, I'll digitize this at some point, whenever, whenever, whenever done is, but I don't know when that will ever be. I hope from I hope never a long, long time. Never. You're going to have to do two books. Yeah. One, the first half of your hunting uh, session and then later in life hunting when yeah. somebody's, somebody's taking you. That's right. I'm, <laughs> I'm the guy on stand at the end of that. Right. But, but goals. Yeah. So Tyler, this year I did want to put 70. I had a goal to get 70 people in the field uh, this year and hit that and i think it was 35 37 kids that's awesome uh, somewhere in there and are these are these, 35 are, different some of these kids your 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 kids friends oh absolutely yeah. oh yeah oh yeah 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 uh and that's what so with my daughter i think her her interest in the field didn't just start this year so culmination of maybe the last whew, probably 7 years i mean she was eagerly walking out there drop a bird, right? She's carrying it and tripping over the grass and everything um, to eventually more, you know, simulating the hunt, not carrying a gun again, yep. until this year, but just simulating a real life hunting situation, learning the dogs, reading the dogs, following the dogs, that type of stuff. You know, reading uh, the dogs is such an important tip. Uh, Tyler and I, we know pretty much how to read each other's dogs, but it, it's crazy, you know, I'll hunt with friends and I'll be like, Hey, diesel is birdie. I'm like, get up, get up close to him. And, and I wouldn't say diesel's a pointing lab necessarily. There's like flashpoints. So you can kind of tell like, okay, there's a bird there. And it's like, my friends don't listen to me. And the bird gets out. Oh man, I didn't know. <laughs> I'm yeah. like, I, I told you get up there. Bird's coming. You know, he's going to flush it. Yeah. 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 You couldn't be more right. I mean, there's, and this is, uh, I'm a pretty, competitive person right and I, I track all my numbers so and i've got numbers for the last 20 years as to, to uh how many birds we've seen taken up um shot lost you know what type of retrieves we've got all these types of numbers commitment to having kids afield there's hundreds of birds uh nick that we didn't even get a shot at because the kid just didn't read the dog yep. or despite my encouragement just physically couldn't get there. I mean, that's another attribute, right? Yep. I mentioned earlier commitment to fitness. I think that's critical. If you really want to be uh, a good hunter, you need to be committed to not only the, the fitness of your dogs so that, um, 
so that you support them when it comes, you know, in the off season so that they can function yep. during season. The same thing needs to hold, be, hold true for yourselves. Tyler and I always uh, joke that we need to run our dogs an hour before we go hunting. <laughs> burn some energy. <laughs> Slow down a little bit. Hey, it's a yeah. little bit easier. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, but certainly my, my goals have shifted from how many birds uh, did my group, did we shoot over my dogs to how many did I shoot and how many did my buddy shoot? Um, to even mileage, mileage on the dogs, mileage on the truck. I usually put in 4,500 to 6,000 miles each season on the truck, a lot of windshield time, to now, how many guests did I get a field? You know, how many kids and adults got their first bird? Right? What were the first experiences like? How well was I able to capture the experience and what I really care about, what I, what I truly enjoy about pheasant hunting? It's not killing the bird. You two know that, right? Yep. And I suspect most of your audience knows that's just a, it's a, it's a product of the experience. And in a lot of ways, an unfortunate product of the experience, but it is inherent to the process. Yep. Uh, but it's not, it's not hunting. It's not passion and association with the dogs, et cetera. Yep. You know, I think that's the culmination of a hunter. Cause I can remember, you know, growing up with my dad, I was just like, I just wanted to get the bird. I just wanted to get the bird, you know. Now I don't really care if I get the bird like you're saying. It's more watching my dogs work, being outside, uh, being in the field, uh, being around nature, seeing the birds, um, and then watching other people be successful, uh, which is which is super um, that's super rewarding. Yeah, all yeah, the I'd... first year dogs, right? I mean, I ran Maverick. He's my youngest. I got the twelve year old here pushing on me right now. The twelve year old Vishla. He's retired now. Um, but Maverick, I think he was, he was seven months when season opened. Just his maturation, just getting him over birds and all the first for him, right? All the more exciting, much more than me shooting a rooster, right? Yep. Sounds like you can relate, Tyler, based on your. Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I didn't have, let's see, I went without a dog for a while and then I got my Goldens now. And I mean, they just, like, sometimes you get so lost watching the bird that even after you shoot it you know it's like just watching the dog work leading up to it tyler don't be making excuses for missing damn it i didn't say missing. <laughs> i get so caught up watching the bird i forget to shoot i mean even i mean even when it's a hen get up and your dog works it good yeah. you know it's just like you said it's not all about getting the birds but just what builds up to that bird flushing you know and right. knowing right. that like you put the work in with your dog you're just out there enjoying join life you know it's crazy it's just i think that's what draws me back to it every year is it's all it, every every hunt's a different challenge you know and like i bet if you went back and looked at your 20 years of logs there'd be no hunt that's the same oh for sure you know yeah. and it's and you've probably hunted the same property you know multiple times but everyone's different every bird's different right you know, it's right. it's just pretty awesome and I can't pull, you know, to support that position, I agree with you completely. I can't pull to memory how many birds I shot each of those years, right? Or even how many birds that were shot over my dogs. But I remember the majority of the first, whether first yeah. in association with my guests, first in association with the dogs, right? Some wildlife experience that, that we had out there or <laughs> falling through a creek as you try to cross, you think the ice is good enough, right? All these different stories. It's, it's those memories that uh, draw me back, as you had mentioned year over year. So I hope to have a whole lot of decades left. So you got, you said you got a 12 year old Vishal, is that right? Yeah. He's right down here by my side. So is he your first dog that you had second? So what drew you to the Vishlas? You, uh, it sounded like you started with a wire hair when you got introduced to bird hunting. What uh, drew you to the Vishla? Yeah. The, the wire hair was my first introduction. You're right. My, the, my buddies, my college roommates, father's dog and I saw that dog point and I was just fascinated by that right so that drew me to um, you know at the point in time I was in college right I wasn't wasn't married no kids or anything like that um, I knew when we got a dog when my at that point in time my girlfriend but now my wife when we got married and got a dog I knew I wanted to have the option to have a dog that could do two things run with us we were big runners competitive runners at the point in time so fitness is was then and still important to us so it had to be an athletic dog and then my wife and now by chance my daughter as well are allergic to longer hair dogs so we by chance we were looking because vishla's 
our first facial we got in, I think it was 2000. Uh, his name was Murphy, died at eight years old of cancer. Um, but he, yeah, right in his prime. Ouch. Uh, he, we were looking at wines at the time because vishas just were not nearly as, as predominant as they are now. Uh, but it was the short hair, little shedding. They're certainly not, you know, uh, allergen free, right? They're not hypoallergenic, but, but uh, they're close. So looking at wines, and then I think just by chance, we stumbled across a Vishla breeder, went and took a look at him. I mean, you go look at puppies with your, I mean, it's done, yeah. right? So yeah. got a dog, came back. Uh, I said, well, shoot, I'm going to buy some books. And I think I read Best Way to Train Your Gun Dog and Delmer Smith type method and, and Dale Walker type leashes, read books, made every mistake that... Uh, that maybe you two haven't made, but I certainly made a hell of a lot of mistakes. And, and that dog, Murphy and I learned, um, learned things together, made mistakes. But again, back, again, back then, early 2000s, I mean, you, you could just fall and hit roosters everywhere. Yep. Um, it was the pre-ethanol boom of corn. So there was a lot more grass in the field. Yeah, uh, it was. So it was, it was fantastic hunting. So he was the first. And then we got my 12 year old in 2008. Then you've uh, done all the training yourself on all your dogs. Yes, it, save for I've actually uh, with my current young dog Maverick. Uh, I have met some some guys online, uh, actually part of the forum as well. Some pro trainers. Yep. Look, I'm open. I'm not a dog trainer, right? Uh, Neither I'm, are we. I'm not the best dog trainer. I'm not the best hunter. Uh, but when it comes to being fit to hunt all day. Uh, and dogs that are serviceable and a halfway decent shot most of the time can be pretty damn, uh, pretty damn effective. And, and that's how I would, um, you know, looking back on my um, hunting successes and failures of the last few, you know, de few decades. Yep. Consistency, consistency and persistence in the field, both with my dogs, the amount of time that I commit to the dogs, the amount of wild birds I get my dogs in front of, uh, we figured out. Yeah. Okay. It, and I know this came up on social media. Somebody asked you um, to go hunting or something and called you names. Mm. Um, but you're just out there grinding just like the rest of us. Uh, maybe you have some private ground as Tyler and I do as well. But are you going on some of the public ground? And if so, tell us about how you think the bird numbers are this year or this past year um, and kind of what you saw in the field. So I saw slightly fewer numbers this year than I did last year. Okay. But last year was a big uptick uh, in from the year prior. So yep. I'd say in my experience, and I had a lot of derecho area. Okay. So early in the season, before we got the cold snap, I was hunting a lot of fields, even where the corn may have been, you know, it, it wasn't harvested. It was laid down. So there was a lot of extra cover for the birds. So I think, Looking back on the season, I think they were using those derecho impacted fields because uh, when I got out of derecho area and went a little further northwest, in my case, um, I did find numbers comparable. But what was different this year, and I don't know why, it's, it's interesting to me, is relatively within the same region, same types of grasses. Uh, I would find phenomenal pockets of birds and then just maybe not blanks, but certainly not numbers that I'm used to. So again, it gets back to my earlier mention and, and uh, just, you know, just persistence. That's what I tell every one of my guests, hang with me. Yep. I will find you birds. I will get you on them. And you know, some, some days we went out and we'd bang them up in 20 minutes and we're done. And we're like, shoot, I wish we would have brought more people. Right. <laughs> or, uh, or some days we work, we work hard and we hunt prime grass, prime looking fields. Everything should be right. Uh, but for whatever reason, it doesn't hit. And then I'll, I'll hit a five acre piece and we'll find them right there and we'll, we'll knock our birds down. So you know, we, we've we heard that from uh, another one of our guests that we've had on. Uh, his name's Matt Mosier. He's a he's a sheriff up from my hometown, uh, Guttenberg. But he said that they hunted a whole field and saw like nothing and come back to. I mean, it was like it, it wasn't even an acre. I don't think he said they walk in it and. He said, I swear to God, 40 birds got up just in this little like pocket. Right. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah. And obviously pressure. I mean, if, if somebody's predominantly hunting public, 
the amount of pressure there is going to make a big impact, or even pressure on 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 private. Yep. Uh, typically, it's it's far less, right? Um, yeah. But getting back to your question, I do hunt both uh, public and private. Earlier in the season, I hunt more public than I do later in the season. Yeah. I absolutely, one hundred percent tailor where I go based on who's in the truck with me. Um, yep. If I've got, I save spots for kids, right? I yep. save spots for for newbies, based on you know physical abilities and things like that. Um, I definitely have set aside pieces, uh, none of which I own, by the way. I have what I call knock and talk. I put in windshield time, uh, hundreds of thousands of miles. I've I put on my truck, trucks plural. Yeah. Uh, knocking on doors, introducing myself, um, sometimes in the off season. But predominantly, yep. in, you know, predominantly during season, not when people are harvesting and all those types of things. Introduce myself, build relationships, be respectful, and it's amazing how nice Iowans are. You know, we uh, we do that in South Dakota. Um, we met some of the some of the nicest people out there, um, and it does. You know, for those listeners who you know maybe you're having trouble uh, getting on birds, you see a nice piece of property. Go knock and ask. Yeah. Um, we did that. How many times did we do that on the last weekend uh, this year, Tyler? Got I think like three or four times. Yeah. We get on. We get on the ground. Yeah. Each each time, hundred percent. Uh. Uh. No. So one guy turned us down, but only because he said his kids were coming back home to hunt it that sure. weekend. Otherwise, he said we would. I would let you. But yeah. Other than that, we only had one guy turn us down. Yeah. I mean that's and, that, and I, I would think that'd be a lot harder in South Dakota, right? Because they gotta get people knocking on doors. Um, you would think, but I also think that it's like either people aren't aren't doing it, or they can't find where these people live. For example, yeah, we found a we found a piece of property, um, and it gave an address. You know, on Onyx, we use that, and it gives a person's address. It's like, all right, we'll drive down there because we saw birds going into it. We drive down; it's the middle of a gravel road. There's no houses anywhere. And yeah. that's where the address. And I'm like, what the heck? Yeah. So you do a little bit more digging, and you figure out that he literally, the person lived a quarter mile away from literally where we saw all the birds at. You know, but for some reason, it didn't show his address there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if that's South Dakota, because like the one farmer we asked, we were like, hey, we saw birds at such and such road, and he's like. I don't, I don't know where that's at because <laughs> yeah, they said, go ahead and hunt it. Yeah. So we're like, okay. They literally, they just put signs up for these gravel roads or yeah. something a couple of years back. And he's like, Oh, we just have names for, you know, our places. So we don't know where they're at. But yeah. Yeah. It's kind of funny. Yeah. And a lot, a lot of the farmers out there or landowners, they don't just have like a, like a field. They have thousands, thousands of acres. acres. Yeah. Like they, one guy, we, uh, we always take him something. So he let us hunt. We didn't have anything on us. We went shopping that, that night when we got done. Took him um, some deer sticks that we actually had and then bought him a bottle of, of liquor and took it to him. And, you know, he looked at us and said, oh, well, if you guys want to hunt, can you see, do you know where all my land is? And I opened our own ox. I'm like, yeah, I can see all your spots. He goes, well, you can hunt everything now. <laughs> so we literally got uh, – I don't know what it was, a thousand acres to scour out there and hunt. And then same thing happened with the other guy that we asked. Uh, we went back and offered him some birds because we limited out on his property. And we said, man, I'm like, I don't know. Do you know you have this many birds on this section of your property? He's like, I had no idea. We're like, well, we just want to thank you. You know, if you want some of the birds, we brought some with us. You can have them. And then, you know, we gave, did the same thing, gave him a bunch of deer jerky and sticks and then uh, gave him a bottle of booze. And then he's like, well, he goes, I do have another good spot if you guys want to drive behind my house and then go way back here and there. So we have to hunt that yeah. piece of property too. So um, those little things, the communication, the building the relationship, it does pay off. And then I've said this before on our podcast. I've actually um, – I took it upon me and I sent them – well, it wasn't Christmas cards, but I sent them like a Happy New Year card. And uh, I signed all, our, all of our names in it and sent them to these gentlemen and told them I'd be reaching out and hopefully we could connect um, – this coming year again to uh, get a hunt in. Yeah. Good for you. That's good to hear. You know, I, I don't have that maybe for a different time, different conversation, but I've never hunted South Dakota. I've never hunted outside the state of Iowa. You got to do it from a pheasant perspective. So this is where, you know, perhaps my, uh, my assumptions aren't true, but I just, isn't it damn easy? I mean, how can you, how can you not go to South Dakota and just knock your birds down real quick? I, th I think you got to find the right, areas so 
for example, we went up to uh, what we went north, north of, of Aberdeen. North, yeah, yeah, and we honestly, and we put in a, a long, long day. We were we walked I think thirteen or fourteen miles. That's good. And uh, we got two birds. Yeah, that's all you we saw. You're working now. Are they in a hunt like that? Are they flushing way wild? I mean, you gotta be seeing. No, them. we didn't see anything. No, really? we weren't. Yeah, and we had four guys, you know, so we were covering a decent amount of four guys, three dogs, um, and yeah, they're just. But then we went further west, uh, got into where more crops are up. I think north of Aberdeen, there's a ton of public ground, ton of public ground, um, but there's not a lot of crop ground around it. Mm. So I don't know. I'm sure birds are somewhere, uh, but I think you have to find the public ground that has that. Ground, you know, yeah. and some of it's some of that ground is so long, and to even find, you know, where, you know, we're looking for good grasses, um, but just to find a crop field next to the public ground was it was hard to come by up there. But then, you know, you go go further west, there's more corn, more, sure. uh, you know, whatever else they have out there, and we got into those days we got into a lot more a lot of birds yeah um yeah don't go don't go north aberdeen we did not have a good experience and it's not like we have uh super young dogs i mean diesel's gonna be seven this year he's had hundreds of birds in his mouth so it's like he wasn't even showing uh, tyler's dogs either they weren't even showing that they're a birdie yeah honestly honestly nate how we got one bird you want to know how this happened we were we were literally driving back and we were thinking about ending it for the day because we we're like god and as we were driving there was public ground on our right hand side and a rooster literally flew in front of our truck we literally just pulled over the side of the road unlatched the dogs and ran out in the middle of this field and it wasn't even like it was uh cattails in the middle that's all it was cattails yeah, in the middle like, of a bean field yeah it's a big circle oh, is what it was yeah and we just we went in and dogs went, boom, flew up, shot him. And I was like, ah, oh, thank God we got a bird. <laughs> All right. So I can, I, I can top that. Driving to the field, semi-truck in front of us, hits a rooster. Flies <laughs> up right in front of the truck. We stop, get out, pick up the rooster. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> that was about 10 years ago. That. Check that one yeah. off for the day. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dam- well, did it damage your truck? No, no, the rooster landed in front of my of my truck. It hit a semi in front of me. Oh, I got you. And I got just, you. Yeah, one of those a windshield, the you know the the windshield yep. on top of the yep. top of the tractor. Oh man! Did it flew, dropped right in front of us. Stopped. Got to get a truck out of that. See, there's there's memories, right? That was probably 10, that's right. Twelve years ago, I still remember that. But that's crazy. Similar type of approach here in Iowa. Um, knocking and talking introducing being transparent being respectful of people so be mindful is it during harvest don't bother people right yep uh, certainly i would do all the things that you had talked about with your uh, landowners in, in south dakota figure out what they care about always 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 i offer them a clean bird cleaned up really nice washed off in plastic baggie that they can freeze should they choose not to eat it yep um some you know take me up on that other people deer meat right deer sausage that you know i I got from a deer that i shot in the season prior or something like that uh but more often than not people i just if you talk with them long enough you fit i tend to figure out what they care about some want to know what numbers do you see right early mentioned that you know how many you have right some want to see if they have coyotes there some want uh to know about the deer population whatever it is that's of interest to them some are really passionate about the dogs you got a puppy with you right i mean that's yeah we ran into so there's people so tyler and i are pretty lucky in iowa that we know enough people so we don't really have to knock uh on many doors because we got a bunch of places up like watkins area by cedar rapids uh fort dodge and stuff up in there we got a bunch of private ground that we can we can go to so we don't really have to knock but um yeah. Near what area did you say? Uh, Fort Dodge, um, like Cedar Rapids, Watkins. So Watkins is, you know, 15 minutes outside there. But some of those people, they ask us, um, and they know, they know that we're coming or whatever. But yeah. it's always, you guys got dogs, right? We don't want to, you know, we got thick cover. And it's like, yeah, we yeah. got dogs. Oh, yeah. I, all uh, Dozens and dozens and dozens of times I've gotten a, a yes, but you won't be able to walk it. And so, like, do you mind if I give it a shot, right? Yeah. 
Um, so, and I do, I mean, believe I hunt some, some big blue stem that is tough walking, especially, you know, if you get a, a big, heavy snow on it or something like that, if you're walking across, across where that grass is laid down, it could be hard, but again, persistence, put in the work, put in the work in the off season so that you can physically handle it, right? Position your guests in easier lanes, right? You kind of know where birds are going to go based on decades of hunting and, and with that persistence, I, I found a lot more success than I have uh, the alternative. So, yeah. Yeah. so you, you've been hunting for 20, 20 plus years now. And obviously when you started, it was great. We had the law, nice long lull of birds in the past last year, the year before, uh, you know, it's kind of picked up. Mm-hmm. What do you think, you know, we just had that conversation with the Iowa DNR last week. Yeah, I listened. Um, you know, obviously they're trying to acquire more land, but I mean, in your mind, what are we missing from obviously more land, but are we, what else are we missing from back when you started to what we're still missing now that we could try to bring back? I think, uh, I think the world has changed and we, we haven't changed our approach to adapt just yet. So, uh, I think we have a whole bunch of, you know, your guests included DNR, Iowa DNR conservations across the state. We have a whole bunch of well-educated, well-intended folks that are trying to do the same thing that we three want done. Right. I'm not doubting their intentions. Uh, I'm not doubting uh, their ability to make recommendations very likely far better than me. That said, if, if we are, we as bird hunters, upland bird hunters in particular, non-migratory bird, if we are hanging our hat on uh, favorable weather, whether it be not too much snow in the winter, we've had a rough patch over the last couple of weeks, right? Um, not enough cover, CRP for them to make it through that, a relatively dry spring, or at least, you know, light enough rains where they don't get flooded out, right? That, if we're hanging our hat on things like that, which we cannot control, I think we're on very slippery slope. And your daughters, right, when they grow up and are big enough to walk the field with you, I think it's going to be a lot harder for them to find successes, you know, number of birds seen, shooting a bird, etc. So my suggestion is that we need to consider different approaches. I, and I, I don't propose to have what those answers might be, but I would, I'm, I'm interested in aligning with people that are committed to just talking about what differences we can have, right? 2% of the, of the state public grounds. Our, our ground is too fertile. That's not going to improve, right? Committing, look, I, I donate, um, a, a decent amount of time and, and funds to uh, conservation chapters, you know, Pheasants Forever, Quail Forever yep. included, right? As do, I'm sure, you two and, and most of your listeners. That's great. We should continue to do that. We should do more to the extent we can. Uh, we should commit our labor, volunteer within chapters uh, to the extent we can. We should support private landowners that you know back up in the Fort Dodge area. Yep. Encourage them to do burns, right? What help do they need around that? Um, contributes to the sustainability and ultimately the dollar within their pocket, but also supports wildlife, water purity, right? Yeah. And wildlife. I think it's, that's the, the and is what is missing in our approach so far again. And when I say missing, I don't mean that others aren't suggesting it. Others aren't, uh, there isn't good example of it being done. The majority of our focus, in my opinion, needs to shift that way meaning we have to recognize that farmers are trying to make a damn living, right? And somebody, friend or not, me knocking and talking, introducing myself for the first time to somebody, asking for a privilege, which I I have no right to, that conflicts with their ability to support their family cannot be our approach, right? So taking more ag ground and putting grass in while it will happen a little bit, and that's a good thing, uh, it's not going to happen a lot, and it's not going to happen enough to sustain this, okay? So I'm hopeful, you know, when the ethanol boom came around, Tyler, earlier you mentioned, right, we had that big dip. We had all that snow and ethanol, and corn was at, what, six, seven bucks? 
uh, a bushel or so and all that corn came in and all the tiling started happening terraces coming out and fence rows coming out and pulling trees out because they didn't want to suck the moisture out of the ground or put shade there it really really changed our landscape um, and we also have generations you know those century farms are rolling over either to corporate farming or in fewer cases unfortunately fewer cases rolling over to their children. I think most of their children don't want to farm. They're moving out, moving out of the country and moving to the city and working or what have you. Uh, I think we're more and more susceptible to uh, farming practices that don't lend to conservation, bird populations, a piece of conservation. So we need to figure out a way, and again, I, I'm not proposing to have all the answers here, but we need to figure out a way in which we can introduce an and here. They can put that dollar in their pocket, they can make a living off their ground, and they can support general conservation practices that happen to produce an environment that, that supports, in our case, you know, pheasant and quail on the ground, okay? That was, that's a great answer. I like yeah, that. I don't know what, uh, I mean, because it's. You can tell me, how do we do it now? It's. Uh, <laughs> I, I wish you know, I knew. Honestly, when you do think about it, I mean, Tyler and I were just talking about this the other day. God, this is this winter's may or may not. You know, this could be potentially bad for birds coming up this year. You know, just because uh, we've got 13 inches of snow or whatever it was a few weeks back, and before that it was freezing rain, and I don't even know what we got today. Another five or six inches. It's like, man, it's going to be rough on them, and it is. We can't control that. So we do need to figure out ways to um, grow the numbers without having to worry about a harsh winter. Right. And again, I want to be um, fully transparent that I think uh, the majority of people share our passion and interest here and they're well-intended. They're trying to do the right thing, and, but they're pushing a boulder uphill that just, they, it just cannot, cannot sustain it. So we have to figure out different ways in which, to do things. So I think there's enough, um, there's enough intellect out there and experienced hunters and conservation that we can figure out a way in which to do things additionally in support of conservation. Uh, and I, wherever that group is, whomever's participating within that group, I'd love to be a part of it. Um, yeah. So I don't want to be like Wisconsin where they're doing like, uh, hey, hey, the DNR says, hey, we're releasing birds. And then everybody runs to the field and goes shoot them. Right. I, don't want to, yeah. I don't want to be doing that. Yeah, it's like, you know, <laughs> dumping, the, dumping the trout and, you know, in the, yeah. on, you know in, in the community park and everybody's out there, you know, fishing for the trout as they swim yeah. in the perimeter, you know. Yeah, I don't, I don't want that either, right? And things like IHAP, you know, that's a great, I think it that's is. a great step towards, um, sustaining something like I have on mind. Uh, but even, you know, even I have is, uh, it's pressured in more ways than, than I would prefer. Uh, yep. uh, you know, there's a, I understand people have an interest uh, in often tie success to their ability to harvest a bird, right? But when you've got three trucks up at a field and they're pulling out and you're coming right in, you're just pounding the crap out of the birds. It's just, I, I wish for, and I would personally like to support a model that um, better allows for people to have opportunity of field without completely just Destroying. smashing the field. Yeah. You, know? it, you know, this happened to me this year, Nate. Um, there's a piece of ground, oh, 45 minutes from my house. And I got there, got there a half hour early. I've never hunted before. I just saw it. It was supposed to storm a big storm like coming in at 10 at 10. So I was like, I'm going to get out and hunt a couple hours before this hits. I show up and a guy pulls in and he already sees that I'm there and I'm getting my dog out. I'm getting my gun out, pulls up to the driveway down and walks in down there and starts hunting as yeah. I was walking in hunting. And it's only a hundred and maybe 150 acres, which is nothing for me to walk in a couple hours. I'm like, Oh, that's, you know, I'll just do that. And diesel can easily do that. Well, not only that, but then he started like coming towards me. So I looped back around and tried to like kind of avoid him. And then another hunter came in, was hunting as well. And I was just like, does to me, I, I feel like hunter etiquette, like, okay, obviously I'm here first. So I would not bother anybody if he was going to hunt it. Secondly, um, but to your point, if I saw somebody just hunt a piece of property, 
I would, in my mind, I think, well, maybe they missed a bird, but I still probably wouldn't go in there. Yeah. I'd look for something else. Yeah, especially if the weather demands it, right? If it's a, if hard conditions, right? Uh, just to your mention, etiquette, right? Um, and I think most, I think most upland men and women um, give that consideration in most times, right? Um, but it, it's an interesting predicament. Uh, we want, we need growth, right? <laughs> We need our numbers up. We need people to buy licenses. We need them to buy guns and ammo, which contributes to funding the things that we need, right? So we need – yeah, go ahead. So to, to interrupt you on that, we need licenses. When Todd was talking about, you know, we got duck stamps and they're buying those, I honestly think they should do the upland stamp. Like there should be a certain stamp for upland game because then that's going to give that those amount of dollars back to, you know, us upland hunters, you know, uh, uh uh, Ducks Unlimited, they get so much money in from just having that stamp, yeah. you know. And I think that's that could that could potentially solve some of our problem of getting more land, better cover, so we're not worrying about these things. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I'm in support of that. Um, generally, I think money money helps things. It won't ever be enough to to um, provide for enough publicly accessible lands uh, here within Iowa. Just land is too valuable uh, to produce uh, from an agricultural perspective. So I, 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 while I'm in support of more and more funds coming in, and not only from hunters, by the way, right? I think some of your guests in the past, and you've probably participated in conversation in conversations or forums or what have you about uh, people that just recreationally use these public lands for something other than hunting. How could we introduce a way in which they too support it? Uh, whether those that are bird watching or just running their dogs or, or what have you, uh, it could be we could increase the amount from a stamp or otherwise that we pump in. We hunters that already pay into the the fund pay in. We could increase the number of people contributing to said fund, and then I think we have to introduce something that allows for private landowners to personally be compelled to contribute in different ways than they do today. Yep. And the third thing that I think could be in our state, you know, you move out West, it's different, right? But in our state, uh, that's the only way in which your girls are going to have success by the time they're ready to walk and carry a gun in the field. Um, and again, I'm, I don't know how exactly to do that, but I, I'd, I'd like to shift some of our attention. I mean, year over year guys for, for at least the last decade, year over year, I hear the same thing. Hold out hope that we have a uh, you know, limited snowfall or not too cold. <laughs> hold out hope that it doesn't rain too much. And every single year, people hold their breath. And I get notes, right? I get phone calls. What do you think about the birds? Is What's going to happen here? Uh, and the, the, the counter to that is encourage people to, to enroll in the CRP. Again, a good thing. I'm in support of that process. The fact that you know enrollment is now open I don't know if it's into perpetuity, but they've extended uh, the enrollment periods. That's a good thing. I support all those things. It's just not, I, my fear is, um, a, unfortunately, I'm pretty confident that it's not going to be enough to sustain the support, the, the sport to the extent that we want so that our well, kids. Well, not only that, we're, we're, I feel like we're losing so many upland hunters too, along with that. You know, we're, one, we're already not getting enough money, but people just aren't committed to that side of things. You know, Deer hunters, duck hunters, you know, even turkey hunters. It seems like there's just a plethora of those folks out there, which I enjoy doing this too, but my passion is obviously upland game. So, um, you know, the more, like you said, we can get my daughters involved, your kids involved, you know, someday Tyler might have some kids too, and he, we can get those involved. Uh, that's that's a huge deal. That's a huge deal. I do think so, and I think you're right in the order. I think it is deer, waterfall, and then uh, oh, yeah. turkey maybe turkey waterfall somewhere in there. Uh, and then upland. upland hunting's hard, right? Think about, and it's, it's not only an uphill battle in comparison to the other uh, hunting sports, uh, but it's, it can be difficult. I mean, you gotta, yeah. you've gotta have the physical ability work. and the wherewithal to be in the field and work for it. Um, so back to your earlier questions about kids, you know, how do you do that? You try to introduce an environment, I save fields. I look at edges. I ideally find draws where there's success. I want them to see numbers. Um, certainly you can do that as well. But I additionally 
try to make it an experience that's more about the time in the field, right? Treats, treats in the truck, right? <laughs> uh, friends, you asked about, do I bring their friends? Absolutely, I bring you, their friends. You keep, you keep those spots, Nate, and I'll just, you know, 10, 12 years, I'll just send my daughters your Absolutely. way. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Come on over. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but that, you know, go out to eat afterwards. Go grab lunch or go grab dinner afterwards. Uh, just any and all things that I can do to compete with all the other things that are out there from, I mean, the video games, right? And and just yeah. the sports, whether it be club or, or high school, school ball. Um, my kids do all of that, right? Um, just time generally on their phones. It's, it's um, there's a lot of things competing for the attention of our children and, and for us, right? Those that don't hunt. Um, so all the more reason why we should give proactive consideration to how we can make the experience as enjoyable as possible for any and all people of field, especially the new people and especially the kids. Yeah. And I don't know if you follow on Instagram, it's called Try Upland. I do. Um, but that would be, they what? They've posted some of my stuff. They've reached out. Nice. Good. Yeah. Um, that's what I was going to mention is, you know, for people that are looking to get into it a lot of them probably don't really know where to start you know if the, they don't have a family member that hunts you know how are they going to know maybe it's yeah. they see it on youtube you know because they're watching their phone all day and they're like oh that looks like fun you know but how would they get going um you know that'd be kind of cool too if the iowa dnr had something out there that someone could fill out a form and say hey you know I'd, i'm interested in pheasant hunting this is where i live yeah. um you know and someone maybe would want to reach out to them and talk to them, you know, and someone that's obviously not following try upland on Instagram, but I think that's a good start. They got a good, good little thing going, um, to get people more interested. And like you said, you got to do things outside of just walking in the field and getting them a bird to keep them interested. Yeah. Like when I was, <clears throat> when I was growing up deer hunting with my grandpa, one, I just like being with my grandpa deer hunting. I don't, I don't deer hunt anymore. Um, ever since he stopped, I basically stopped. But one of my favorite things was driving to a field and my grandma would make a bunch of sandwiches, pack chips, and we'd sit there for, you know, 45 minutes, just eating, eating lunch, just talking. Usually he'd fall asleep, take a little nap, you know, but like, that's the stuff I remember. I don't remember all the big deer and whatnot but like those little things are the things that i remember and if you think about it for people that yeah they'll remember their first bird right but their fifth sixth seventh eighth bird you know they're not going to remember that but they're going to remember those little type of stories and that's what's going to keep bringing them back and making it fun you know Tyler, to your point the most exciting time for me uh, still is the day before opening day uh, you know, we're, Tyler and I are getting ready, uh, uh, we've gotten together the night before and just had a couple of drinks, relaxed and, you know, you, you already kind of know where you're going to go, but that game planning is like exciting. Hey, maybe we should walk it this way. Hey, maybe we should do this a little bit different this time. Let's not, let's not park here this time, park down the road, whatever the case may be, all those little intangibles. That's what like, I love coming back to the drawing board. When we go to the South Dakota, my favorite thing is like when we're driving up there and we're just like talking like all right we got this plot of land what do you guys think looks like the entries here but what you know what else can we do how can we hunt it? and i think that that engulfs me and i love that part of it and i think that can be something that can bring in our younger generation and just show them like a tradition like hey this is this is kind of how it goes yeah no doubt no doubt and the same way it's like uh my friends and i we say uh it's like christmas still still 46 years old guys still I can't sleep the night before. I cannot fall asleep. Neither can we. And I'm up oh. at four in the morning. I don't need to be up at four in the morning, but I'm awake and I'm ready to go. And Your dogs can you sense know, it. I mean, they right. know. It's oh, like, yeah. oh. They either close out the night before. The dogs are whining at the door. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. So, and there's, so, Tyler, to, to maybe make you feel a little bit better, Try Upland isn't the only one. There are other, there is. Uh, there are other companies Good. slash, you know, committed people that are do mentorship programs of which uh, I participate. Very good. So, but it's more like online mentorship than 
you know, physical pro proximity is important, right? Somebody's yeah, yeah. in the general area for me to support them or you two to support somebody. So I think in my view, and Pheasants Forever had the sign up for the mentorship program, mentorship pledge, I think they had called it. Um, yep. So I think these are good first steps, but barrier to entry into the sport here too, right? Is, is uh, in, in my view, somewhat of an uphill battle. If you don't have somebody around to extend the offer, extend it multiple times. Cause you know what? They might have a basketball game or they got to play the soccer game or right yep. to their, they're staying over at their friend's house the night before, something like that. Keep asking, get them out. And then here's the key in my view, get them out multiple times yep. to get somebody passionate about the sport. And this year, I think I hooked three, I think three, for sure. You know, they're going to be, they're going to be true hunters. Um, far outside of their involvement with me yep. um so repetition getting them a field certainly building the experience nick as as you had mentioned tyler as you had mentioned making it a, a day for them or what whatever amount of time you have with them consider the whole experience and do everything you can to make it as enjoyable as possible um, absolutely that's what that's the obligation that's the personal obligation that i feel i welcome i welcome but i feel an obligation uh, I'm at a point in my hunting career where that's what success is to me. These are yep. the memories that I'm going to make, not just with my kids, not just with my friends' kids, but yes, it is people reaching out to me online. And yeah, I did have, I've had a couple, <laughs> you know, not so pleasant uh, instances, but, but more than that, you know, I've met some good people, people in my neck of the woods that have just reached out and, and uh, I've taken them out hunting and, and we're friends now. Right. Um, so more good than there is bad there, but um, certainly uh, I don't have a, a shortage of people that are interested in getting out, and and I enjoy that. Yeah, that's good. I think another thing that could potentially help the younger generation get into it, if you think about it, a lot of people they want to waterfowl hunt or they want to deer hunt, and I think one reason is because YouTube. If you look on YouTube. Deer hunting's kind of like smack them in your face. Duck hunting's kind of smack them in your face or goose hunting, you know, like if you watch a YouTube video, it's kind of upbeat. A lot of like the pheasant hunting YouTube videos are just, they're, they're boring, you know? <laughs> so I think a lot of people that maybe be, that might be interested, they watch, you know, they go online to research about it or whatnot. And they watch a pheasant hunting video and they're like, oh man, you just walk around for miles, you know, and that's it. And they don't get the full experience, like you said, of treats in the truck, taking them out to eat, the camaraderie, the stuff like that. But then they watch a waterfall one and they're just sitting there and these hundreds of geese are flying in, you know, and they got like seven birds dropping at once and stuff, you know. And so I think people are so, you know, they're getting geared towards that because they see it and they're like oh that's fun well yeah pheasant hunting is fun too but you gotta introduce it and show it to them and like you said take them out multiple times yeah. to get them like a true experience yeah and i think you um it's hard at least for me uh it's been hard to capture the experience video and photos yeah. um to help people that don't participate really experience it, right? Uh, I think deer and waterfowl hunting, it's easier to do that, right? Yes. GoPros and all that. I mean, you, you see, you, you have, right, the side picture of what it was like when you shot that bird, but on the GoPro, how far out is that little bird, right? It just, yeah. just looks way out there. It's, this is something that, that I've struggled with personally, and I've uh, committed a lot of time this season to uh, photography and to capturing video, trying to capture the essence of the experience of which shooting the bird is only a small, right. But final yeah. piece. Of yeah, I mean, that you, you've got some great uh, images on Instagram. If uh, y'all haven't Thank checked you. out Nate's Instagram page, get on there. He's got some great content. Yeah. I appreciate you sharing. I, it, I've care. I probably carried the camera more than I did the gun um, this year. Yeah. And I tell you what, I loved every bit of it uh, just as much. So um but you're right. I don't know what I thought about that. I want to 
some little like GPS thing, put it on the dogs and have a drone. It follows right above <laughs> yeah. you. Right, it follows. And, and, that actually you know, be a great that. idea. Yeah. Hey, well, can we partner with you with that? Because that would <laughs> yeah, be a hell of an idea. I've already got a little something that works. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, something that some way in which, so here too, right? I'm kind of the idea man. I, I say we need to do all these things from a conservation perspective and a sustainability of the sport. Uh, and we need to better capture uh, video and the experience, but yet I don't have the answers for how <laughs> to do that. But, uh, but it is of interest. Um, and, and I certainly do want to participate as much as I can and encourage other people to come out, which involves taking them, but also sharing the experience that draws enough interest for them to say yes. Yep. And you invite them. Yep. And I think so you know, maybe the hook is the dog. If, I, if, yeah. if the dogs can be the hook, that's it. Yep. Yeah, you. I'm, that's the thing that got me personally. I would not. I personally would not pheasant unless I had a dog. Yeah. That's that's just me. I enjoy watching the dogs Agreed. more than anything. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, you know, yeah, you you get someone introduced to a dog that's had some experience, you know, and um, had some birds under its belt, and you get a good experience with a dog. You know, I do think that can that can definitely help. Um, yeah. yeah it, It'd be, it's, it's fun. We, uh, you know, last year, Nick and I got to bring, uh, Nick's basketball coach's grandson. Was that who that was? Yeah. To the field? Yeah. And my basketball coach, he bird hunts, but not more of a duck hunter. So we, we actually got to guide them and it was, it was a hell of a time. Yeah. Okay. It was, it was pretty fun. His first bird, you know, just holding it up, uh, you know, yeah. and then it's like, yeah. oh man. I wasn't anywhere close to it, but it was just, it was still awesome watching. That's good. And, and that's a good point, right? It's not just the youth that we're trying to get out and, um, yeah. bring in, I don't know if he was a hunter before and you brought him back to the sport or what have you, but certainly that sounds like a very memorable. Yeah. He's been hunting his whole life, but mainly, mainly deer and duck. Yeah. Dabbled in pheasant, but he knew that. Yeah. He knew that like, uh, that's what I like to do. Uh, and, and we've always been pretty close. He's retired now. So he's like, hey, Nick, I want to hunt over your dog. Said, Let's yeah. do it. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, I told him I needed to bring Tyler because he had a couple guys that wanted to come. I needed more than one dog in the field. So we went and guided for him, and it was, yeah, it was, a, it was a good time. Okay. Well, yeah. Nate, we don't want to keep you all night, but uh, why don't you give us uh, one of your best hunting stories, and then we'll cut you loose. Best hunting stories. So I'm going to kind of break from the uh... – the kids experience. Cause certainly my daughter shooting her first bird this year. I mean, that was a yep. big deal. Right. And she shot, she shot this rooster over my pup as well. So yep. two, you know, it wasn't his first rooster, but it was certainly a nice experience. And then her also, as I had alluded to earlier, kind of breaking off in the field and, and really hunting on her own and me having that sight picture and that experience. Those are certainly out there, but here's one that, uh, it's a little bit longer story. I'll try to make it, uh, manageable from a podcast perspective hunting with this friend of mine that has eight kids and we uh we went south and we were hunting a field that uh we were targeting quail actually we knew there to be a cut we'd seen a covey of quail on this on this field but targeting quail and there were roosters it was still before the tent so we could get multi-back and during the hunt unexpectedly a, a sleet you know rain sleet snow with high winds mixed in while we were afield so we were, at least I was, less than appropriately dressed at the time. It was a bigger block CRP, and it had a nice draw with a wide creek okay. running through it. Um, longer story shorter, we're kind of at the end, end of the property, and it's point in time where we need to uh, cross the creek. Kind of an ice layer, but mostly, certainly not enough to walk across. I had, at the time, my 12-year-old dog, but he, he was uh, younger, and then also Piper is my three-year-old dog, and she was a pup at the time. Uh, she would swim across. It was cold enough where he, my older dog, did not, for some reason, he's fine with water, but he did not want to swim across in this cold weather. So Beaver had knocked down a tree. My buddy and I, guns in hand, were kind of scaling the tree across, trying to call the dang dog across, uh, the older dog across. Yep. He wouldn't come. He was, just uh, frustrating for me. I come back across, I go in the water, coming back across, grab him, he won't go, pick him up, throw him into the water. So he actually swims <laughs> over. And I had left my gun with 
my buddy on the on the right side of the creek, on the correct side of the creek at this point in time. And the pup, Piper, my female, goes on point on his side. He's holding both guns in his hands down on, on his sides. Dog, she's on point right next to him. I call him on the other side of the water and a rooster flushes up and he, safe shot, but he shoots this bird from his thigh, gun butt on his thigh, drops drops the bird. The <laughs> That's awesome. Amazing shot I had ever seen. So we're both wet from going across. I got one dog, both dogs are soaking wet because one swam and one I had to throw across. And we had uh, probably a 500 yard walk back to the truck, just absolutely frozen by the time we got there. Couldn't move any fingers or anything like that. Oh, That's man. a memory. That, that is a memory. Eternal entry there. <laughs> yeah. Even this year, we, uh, we uh, read that read that journal entry that's something that's you awesome back and pick those stories up and just you know i think i think i'm gonna start doing that that's that's a nifty idea i yeah. love it. I, we started out actually um not that the reason i started was very similar to what you had said talk strategy right opening opening season opening day you talk and you're going to approach things differently right so i started out what was the wind and the weather like how many birds did you see because i don't go back to fields uh, where i don't see numbers that can sustain them getting back to you know, conservation, yep. our commitment to conservation. Uh, what was the wind like, the weather like at the point in time? How many birds did we see? How many roosters did we see? How many did we bag? And the story. And over time, my interest has shifted not to what can I log so that I can be, you know, successful the next time I hit the field, but what was the story? What, what can I read in, in future years that, that bring back memories that perhaps have kind of fallen back to the, to the back of my brain? So I love it. I, I That's awesome. That. I cherish what I call the, the journal. I cherish that journal. So I bet that journal has more knowledge than most people have in it for bird hunting. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of stories in there. Yeah. I, I, uh, it's been a good time. I certainly like the process. I, I wish you guys all the best. I appreciate you having me on. And yes. Yeah. Thank you very much. And maybe we can hit the field uh, this coming year together at some point. Yeah. And I want to join you. If you're still going to do those Wednesday things, I'd love to join and you just yes. talk bird hunting. Maybe yeah, we're, we're critical mass of people talking about what we can do more. It was actually really good. Um, yeah. Next time we're going to set a topic and run with the topic. Um, we kind of just left it open to talk about end of season, but um, no, it went really well. Um, and we held it to an hour, which I don't know that we'll do next time. We'll probably 